This is Barack Lurie at the Barack Lurie Podcast with my good friend and producer, Ari David. Always a pleasure. Um, I think people like that. People like to, to hear that things can be a pleasure. And it's, uh, it's the little joys in life that we make, right? I mean, Is it better than saying always torture, <laughs> always <laughs> monotony? Or, let's get this over with. <laughs> that's, I, I don't think that's where we want to be. Um, now, certainly, you know, you want to, you want to be fine, try to find joy in whatever you do. You know, life is tough enough as it is. And I think you and I were saying in another podcast, and if not in another podcast, certainly in, in our lives, generally speaking, you know, there's so few things that are truly just great, wonderful achievements in your life, whether you're graduating from high school or otherwise. So what do I do? I borrow happiness from other people. <laughs> Um, and I mean it. I, I mean, like my, my niece graduated from is going to be graduating from college. It's a big thrill for me. Um, you know, I'm going to ride on that. I, I just I'm happy for her, and it makes me happy too. And uh, somebody gets a great result in another case, an, an attorney friend of mine. I'm going to brag about that, you know, to my friends as well. And uh, it makes me happy. So why not? It's, there's only so many times that we can all get the the thrill of of life. So. Enjoy other people's successes in the meantime. But um, here's a success uh, that uh, I don't think happened, and I'm enjoying its epic fail, and that is the epic fail of global warming. You know, Ari, why you believe, why you still insist on believing on global warming, and uh, it really just it just gets my goat. I, I don't know how you, you get there, but one day I'll turn you on this issue. Can't I just say really quick why I believe in man-made global warming? Yes. Because men made it up at a whole clock. Oh, that's it. The good answer. <laughs> they just said, here it is. <laughs> well, the... Uh, so how can you not believe that's in right, that? That's right. Exactly right. What is it? The IPCC recently came out with a, uh, a study, one of their famous studies, of course, and... and uh, yeah, all the newscasters are coming out with this very important, urgent news, and they have the you know the dramatic music that uh, leads into all of their mu- news segments, saying um, we should worry and worry a lot. <laughs> uh, the UN has just come out with an, a critical uh, report showing that we must do something or face imminent doom. Uh, and so, so in other words, they're, they're just doubling down on the global warming story, right? Um, things are just so horrible. And this is, this is the latest trick that they have. Uh, the debate is settled, of course, as they always say. Uh, but it just gets more and more hot, as it were. Uh, never mind that, um, what was it, by 2013, um, we were going to have all these climate refugees. Remember that? Millions and millions of climate refugees. Um, and that by 2010, the polar ice caps... Maybe it was 2013, doesn't matter because it's already in the past, that there was going to be no ice to speak of in the polar ice caps. Okay. I mean, how anybody could say that? I mean, you could say it's thinner. You could say it's three inches thinner. You know, that's hard to kind of argue with, right? But it's easy to argue with when somebody says there's not going to be any ice at all in the north or the south poles. Okay. <laughs> that's pretty hot my friends. That's going to be really hot. 
Um, so that's what, that's what they have there. But here's, here's what I want, really want to talk about today. Because the global warming thing is, is so, it's so imploded. Not only are the facts not syncing with everything that they had claimed would happen 10 years hence, and when I say 10 years hence, I meant from 2002, 2003, when they first really kind of rejiggered the whole global warming movement through uh, Al Gore's movie, The uh, Inconvenient Truth thing, thing. Not only that, um, but they, they argue that the debate is over. Right. This is this is that mantra that they had over and over again. The debate is over. There's no thinking about this. We're good to go on this. So so not only do they they just don't jive whatsoever with reality, they still double down. Uh, they ignore everything else, and they, they now they're trying to scare us all the more because that's what you do. Um, and I see this in litigation, by the way. The more desperate the other side is, the the, the greater the octave with which they speak. Right? They're more intense suddenly about it. Stop this cover-up. Stop exactly. yeah. this cover-up. Right, and also the more inane <laughs> the, <laughs> the shrill becomes itself. You know, the gloves so don't fit. You must quit. quit. Right. Or, you know, Holocaust denier. That's a yeah. classic example. Um, and, I, and I always like to say, no, I'm a, I'm a Holocaust. I'm beyond a Holocaust denier. I'm a Holocaust blasphemer. You know, that's, that's right. Because I want them to recognize that what they're spouting is in fact religion. And uh, I'm blaspheming against, let's call a spade a spade. You and I are blaspheming uh, against their religion called global warming. Yeah, we are, we are the, we are Abraham in his father's <laughs> idol shop shattering the idols with yes. our hammers. We, we're happily swinging away at them. That's Even right. if it's a death penalty warranted offense. That's right. Happily swinging away and saying, you know, what are you going to do now, Moses? <laughs> no, I'm kidding around. But what are you going to do now, Dad? I mean, it's, it's these idols that you say were so powerful. Why aren't they stopping me? Well, I thought Moses had a great, you know, uh, how uh, George Washington had the, I cannot tell a lie. Yes, I cut down the cherry tree. I think the story of Abraham is he put the hammer in one of the idol's hands and says, Dad, I think they had a fight. <laughs> <laughs> that's very funny. Oh, that's very funny. Yeah, that's, that's what it should happen. That's what should happen. Um, okay, so here, here's kind of a, I'm going to have some fun with this. As you know, the debate is settled. I put that in air quotes when it comes to global warming, right? How about if we do the same thing when it comes to using that phrase? Because I think the debate is far more settled on many other areas. The debate is settled, for example, that evolution is a crock. The pure evolution is a crock. Okay? Survival of the fittest doesn't work. We, the, the debate is really settled. I mean, nobody can seriously think. But what are you talking about, Barack? There are a lot of scientists like that. Uh, 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 uh. We, we argue the same thing with global warming. There are a lot of scientists who are, you know, questioning the global warming thing, but you didn't listen to us. So we're just going to say the debate is we settled. We are decreeing we're the decreeing. science settled. That's right. The science is settled, and we have a bunch of scientists who all said, and you know what? We've asked all of them, and all of them agree with us. Not just 97%. All the ones that we chose to agree with us have agreed with us. We even paid them to make sure they agreed with us. <laughs> Why not? Why not? Well, they don't need to be paid because, you know, the, I think the science is there in our favor. But that's another story. Yeah, but story. we just said to keep Why it not? fair. Yeah, yeah, keep, yeah it fair. keep it fair. But putting that aside, uh, we, can, we can legitimately argue that the debate is science. And we, uh, it's settled. And we have more science to actually back it up. We've talked about it on this podcast, this show, and, and for that matter, on my Sunday shows, uh, 
I think, basically showing that beyond a reasonable doubt, beyond a reasonable doubt, that what we see around us is the product of intelligent design, not randomness, at the very least, not randomness. And I think that debate really, it's hard to say that it's anything other than settled. So I'm going to make that argument. Here are other things that I think we can say that a debate is settled. The debate is settled that higher taxes hurt the economy. Okay? Let's just settle that. That's, that's been proven time and time I again. I wish Republicans spoke that way. Do you know how powerful it would be if a yeah. Republican had the guts to actually say that? Yeah, that'd be nice. That'd be nice. It's true. The debate is settled that uh, regulations hurt the economy and move jobs away. When, when people talk about shipping jobs overseas as if somehow, you know, you, you get this idea of like, you know, there's a crate and you, you stamp on, you know, the, the words jobs, jobs and it's now being <laughs> Ship shipped over. over right? <laughs> One American job being yeah. shipped over. Um, and, and, you know, it's a freighter. Yeah. I love when Obama that, that eventually, says, you know, you know, hijacked and, you know, by pirates in Somalia, but that's yeah. another story. And I love how Obama says jobs are being shipped overseas by Republicans to Mexico and Canada overseas. Oh yeah. So overseas. <laughs> Well, you know, he he does know because you know he's he should know better because he's been to all the fifty-seven states, and uh, you know he he knows his geography. Uh, another one is, of course, the minimum wage. The science is settled on that. Science High minimum wage, any minimum wage kills jobs, and increases. it kills the jobs that are on their way to China. That's right. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it, it's settled that um, higher regulations ship jobs overseas. That's that's what causes it, my friends. It's it doesn't it. It's not that we just love shipping jobs. It's expensive to ship a job overseas. Why would you do that when you could use it here locally? I actually have a really good example of that. Um, we're talking about a certain model of TV, and not to bore you with that, you know, I bought one of these TVs. And I looked at the box, and it's a Korean make of TV. On the box, guess what it says? Made just in. Guess. <laughs> right. Made in Mexico. Yeah. The Koreans thought that the price for labor in Asia is too high. Oh, so and they're funny. shipping to Mexico. Yeah, why not? You, you, you've got it. You have to think that whenever you try to increase the price somewhere here, it's going to be shipped somewhere else. So it's it, it, it creates a threefold problem. One is uh, employers don't hire you, so that it increases unemployment. I consider that a bad thing. Uh, it increases illegal immigration. I think that's a bad thing. And for whatever jobs there there are. The employer will ship it overseas, which I think is a bad thing. We'd like to have the, all those three things resolved in our favor, and, and all those things can be resolved by not having a minimum wage whatsoever. So there you have it. Um, it's, uh, I, I'd like to see that happen. Here's another thing. What about um, anything related to dealing with dictatorships? Is it, can we say that it's settled that coddling dictators doesn't work? Can we say that? Not only can we say it, I'd say we decree it right here. And decree I, coddling dictators is only good for the dictator. Right. It, it never helps. It has never worked ever in history. And I, I think we have 100% background proof on that. I actually bro broached the subject with, um, what's the guy's name? He used to be a communist, and now he's a conservative. David Horowitz. David Horowitz, exactly right. And I, I talked to him at uh, Stand With Us Function. Great guy. A good conservative. I like his background. I like his analysis. I like his anger as well. And I, I broached the subject with him, and I said, don't you think that 
diplomacy has never worked with a dictator in the history of the world. And he says, I don't know if you could do such a broad sweeping statement. What about uh, Reykjavik and Reagan? And I, I said to say, I mean, of course you're kidding, right? Because we, we had all this muscle. I'm not saying that you have to have war. I'm saying that you have to have the threat of war. That was a bad example because Reagan yeah. walked away from the diplomacy and won because of it. Right. Yeah, exactly right. But even had they worked out a deal, that deal would have been under incredible duress from, the, from Gorbachev's point of view, saying, okay, fine, I'll sign whatever you want me to sign. Just don't blow us out of the sky, right? Uh, but you're right. Reagan walked out of that room anyway. Yeah. Reagan was said, and it's a beautiful story, actually. Reagan said, no, we're keeping the strategic defense initiative. You, there's nothing you can do about it. It's non-negotiable. And you're either going to talk about reducing these weapons or we're talking about nothing. And then Gorbachev babbled some communist stuff. And Reagan <laughs> did this. This is the bit, most beautiful thing ever. Reagan started saying the names of the people in the gulags he wanted released. Wow. You know, this yeah. guy's Solzhenitsyn, I think, was out by that time. But yeah. people like Solzhenitsyn and, and this guy Sakharov and this and writer. Yeah. Natan Sharansky, for example. Yeah. I, I want these, this guy released. I want this guy released. And uh, in Gorbachev's memoirs, he said he would turn to his people and said, This guy's nuts. Reagan's crazy. <laughs> he cares about these individuals, but he didn't understand. But that's the core of conservatism. We care about individuals. So much, we're willing to say, screw the negotiations. I want these individuals freed. That's right. And that's, that's how we turn it all around. Um, but we know, we can say that the bait is settled, right? I mean, why are we playing these games anymore? Why, why do we, I mean, we, we talked before about, in one of our podcasts, and one of my favorite ones was about how the discussion has been so limited and that we're, and, and I'm kind of waving my hand down below right now, we're talking, you know, at this low level, we're, when we shouldn't be. We're talking about these things that have been discussed and resolved in our minds, uh, and, and not just in our minds, in, in reality. Yeah, we, should, decades, and we should have these high-level concepts, right. these high conversations. What's the future of humanity? What nec- what's the next horizons we're going to explore? Right. What's the great technology for all of us? Right. That was, great discoveries? That, was, that was the topic of what, what things are not on the table but should be on the table, right? Yes. Um, and you know, how do we spread liberty? Right? How do we uh, maximize employment in, in the world? Um, how do we uh, bring uh, other countries to, you know, to, to enjoy the same, to, to, to provide the same joys and blessings that America does? Why, why can't it be that every other country um, is, is, is an equally exciting place to escape from poverty? Yeah, why can't uh, every other country have the same problem we have, which is too many overfed people rather than too many underfed? Yeah, good example. So um, these are the things that we have to. Um, th- these are the things that we have to deal with. Always have to deal with this, but nevertheless, the debate I think is settled. It is settled. I, I just thought of a, a con- sort of a conjoiner of that, which is. Um, you're, you're a chess player, right? And yeah. obviously very popular with your text messages. Um, <laughs> uh, but you know how you said we can settle the debate coddling dictators is only good for the dictator. As someone who plays chess, the debate is settled. Losing your queen leads to you getting checkmated. Right. The debate's settled, <laughs> right? So it's, if it's, that's it's very, settled... It's very hard to win a game without a queen. Right. And so you just have to hope that the other side loses his queen somehow by... By happenstance, and then then you're good to go. It doesn't get any pawns down, exactly. down the stream. Yeah, but but it's yeah. you're right. It's it once you 
uh, lose your queen in a, in a chess game, it's a real uphill battle. It's possible. It's yeah. just very, But very coddling difficult. dictators is essentially, and assuming that's going to work, is the same as losing a queen in chess game against a good player who has their queen and assuming I'm going to win here in a cakewalk. You're not. That, that's fair. That's a fair statement. But what we do know, coddling a dictator, and what I mean by that is simply even thinking that the way to deal with him is to negotiate. That's a language that he doesn't speak, right? I mean, it's, it's like me trying to speak to a woman uh, like I speak to a guy. Right. I don't when I speak to, you know, when, when you and I speak, we kind of rib each other every once in a while. We'll say something funny like, hey, uh, are you a piece of crap or whatever? Like we'll joke around a little yeah, bit. You're going to wear that. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and we, we laugh at ourselves and, you know, and, and that's the that's the way guys talk. But if I spoke like that to a woman, she'd take offense. She'd say, you know, it's just you would never even think to speak like that. And a woman wouldn't speak to another woman like that either. They do rib each other, but in a very kind of underhanded way. It's a very different language altogether. Likewise, dictators speak a different language than we speak. When we think about resolving a problem, we assume the person on the other end, uh, it just has to, you know, get some of his needs fulfilled. It might be a question of resources or some money or some recognition. Um, And then all of a sudden you have a, a deal. A deal is brokered. That's the way it is in a democracy, but it ain't the way in a dictatorship because a dictatorship needs to be fed with power, and that's all it is. And the only way you can, you can help a dictator is by giving him more power. And so, so you're not speaking the same language. It's kind of like you, the, the type of law you practice, negotiations, business deals. Right. It's like you're out here in civil society doing your kind of practice. Right. Now, let's put you in prison and have you negotiating for cigarettes with a very dangerous criminal. Right. Right? That's the way it is negotiating with a dictator. It's a totally different context. All your, let's find uh, mutually beneficial arrangements for us, let's make this easy, let's make this convenient, let's make this pain-free, that's not existent in that world. All they see is, is power, and when you start negotiating with them, that's when they really play you. It's even, even when you open the door, even when you talk the language, then you've already lost. Now, the only wait, thing, wait, 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 wait. Right. And Ronald Reagan recognized that when he – the Reykjavik argument altogether. He didn't, he didn't even let the discussion begin. Um, he, he simply said, uh, we're having SDI. Don't even talk about it. And I, I want these men released that, that I'm listening down to you. And that was that. The second thing that is a problem once you do that so, – so you, you have a double-edged problem. One is that it doesn't work. We know that, right? But in addition, it weakens you as the democratic leader. If you're on the democratic side of the negotiation, it actually weakens you to even open that door. And that's what Ronald Reagan understood. So, for example, every time we go to North Korea and say, please don't uh, build your nuclear arms, please don't do so, we give him legitimacy as a legitimate leader of this communist country. And what we should be doing instead is, you're a rogue nation, you're a monster, you're evil, uh, we're going to quarantine you. That's it. Well, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw uh, nuclear arms. We, sir, we're going to quarantine you. I'm going to, to, to blow up this nuclear arm. Sir, we're going to quarantine you. And, if you. and if you do anything that you're threatening whatsoever, we will blow you up forever. Okay? We're just not going to play this game for the rest of our lives. And in the meantime, your people are suffering. And you know what? 
we'll, we just will simply destroy you. We know that that debate is over. And that's where, where I want to go further. What other, what other debates are there in your mind uh, that are simply over? Because we, we know that they're well, over. Well, the biggest one for me is, of course, abortion. Yeah. The science is settled on that. Oh, good we point. know based on, forget abortion science, right. we know for childcare science, for uh, neonatal, prenatal, OBGYN science, you know, with the way we can look at babies in the womb for mothers who want to keep them. Right. Life begins at conception. That's a human being in there. It has feelings. It can hear what you're talking about. It can hear music. It can, it can perceive the, the mood of the mother. It can feel and is basically in all sense, for all intents and purposes, it is, it is a living human being. The science is completely settled on that. And science, by definition, is never settled. But on that one, that's settled. Yeah. It is settled, and it's, it's just, and even so, it, it, at the very least, we can all settle on the notion that we are discovering more and more that the, the, the fetus is very aware of its, it has feelings, like you said. It is a true life. It is, it is, uh, and, and a life that we, we don't understand. It's not, a, it's not a clump of tissues. That, that much we can say. How about that? It's not a clump of tissue. Um, here, here are some other ones that uh, we can certainly... Uh, yeah, and, and just to finish on that, if you want to have a, a debate of weighing the rights of that being versus the rights of a mother in a free society, that's a debate worth having. But the science is settled on whether or not that's a living human being. Yeah, the, the, the science is settled. Um, and, and look, you don't have to like it. You don't have to like the idea of, uh, of a pro-life position. But, but don't, don't think for a moment that as we go forward, learning science which the left is very fond of saying that they're supportive of, but in fact are not, don't think for a moment that uh, somehow that the science won't continue to show that the fetus, as they like to call him, uh, is not experiencing uh, horrific pain and feelings in the process. Um, it's, it's, it's very hard. It, it's, you know, the, the left, if you can summarize it, there are many ways you can summarize the left, right? One of them is that they don't think of consequences. Um, another way is to think that they, it's, it's uh, hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil, right? As long as they don't see it, or out of sight, out of mind, how about that? As long as they don't see the jobs being lost for, with minimum wage, well, then they're okay with it. As long as they don't see the baby inside the womb, then they're okay with uh, killing it. That's really what it is. I mean, that's, that's what was so powerful not great at all, but so powerful about the story uh, from England where they were disposing of the fetuses, the tissues, as it were. Um, it kind of begged the question, right? Like, what do, what do they do with the, uh, the, the tissue? They've got to get rid of it somewhere. Do they flush it down the toilet? Uh, no. Do they uh, put it in a trash uh, bin? No. Um, they put it somewhere. I mean, it's the, the ugliness of the, of the kind of the reality of abortion is all of a sudden there. People, I think, when a lot of people on the left, when they think of abortion, they think of this, this notion of, okay, well, they kill the baby, and it's like, it just kind of disappears, and then they just walk out of the, uh, the, the, um, the medical room, wherever they, they're having the abortion, and they go about their way. Maybe they'll, you know, maybe they're, they're a little uncomfortable for a day or two, but, 
you know, then they go on their merry way and life is okay. Can have sex that night. That very night. will be fine. That's right. My right. That's yeah. right. That's yeah. exactly, exactly you, right. You, I believe, um, would get this because I believe you come from a family of great cartoonists, artists, satirists. Well, Mad Magazine, which I think you're father should have worked for. I mean, <laughs> his talent was really wasted at time. Uh, once had one of the most brilliant cartoon panels ever. The, the words at the bottom were, what did the city of New York do with King Kong? And the picture was a whole bunch of people eating hamburgers. <laughs> That's a very funny thing. It's the exact same thing what you just said. No one wants to know where those hamburgers came from. Right. That's okay. right. That's no right. one wants to know where they're going. <laughs> That's right. And now that we were told by the bottom of the panel, we really don't wish we didn't know. Well, this is part of the reason why I've become vegan. As, and it's not because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm Gaia, you know, I'm Mr. Gaia sort of thing. On the contrary, I, I asked the question of, like we're asking about abortion, simply to say, what, where does this food that's on my plate, where is it coming from? I, I just kind of went back further and further and further. I mean, frankly, I think the analogy is pretty good. Yeah, and um, I have good news for everyone. He's not going to be eating it, so more ribeye snake for me and everyone else, okay? Because <laughs> he's not going to be eating any of it. Good. <laughs> but I'm not a proselytizer in that way. I, I, I'm a very different kind of vegan. I, I told this to Dennis Prager. I said, uh, I am, you know, he was kind of ribbing me about this, and, and I stepped out of the room from our, from our board meeting, and he was saying, we were just making fun of you for being a vegan, and I said, Listen, you're welcome to do that, but I want you to know I'm a vegan that hates PETA, P-E-T-A, the people for the ethical treatment of animals. I despise these, despise these people. Um, I'm, I'm vegan purely for health reasons. So you would support every PETA member being turned into yes. hamburgers and yes, they fit people. Uh, I do not think you understand the gist of where I'm going with this, monsieur. <laughs> okay. so no. I think you've gone off the reservation on that yeah. one. No, but it's, it's very funny. No, I, I, I think that they're crazy over there. And that's, you know, they give vegans a bad name. That's the point. It's kind of like a, I think I was telling you about a friend of mine who was gay. And he, you know, he's, he, he's not at all effeminate. He, you know, dresses as masculine as anyone else. And you, you wouldn't know. He's just one of those gay guys that you wouldn't know is gay. And he, he always said, like, he's always embarrassed about being gay. And he's, he's out of the closet. So it's not that. He's... He's just really embarrassed about it. And I said, why are you embarrassed about it? And he said, well, because, you know, I think people associate being gay with those guys in the, in the, the gay pride parades, and they're all doing these crazy things, and they, they have a G-string up their butts, and, you know, they're practically nude as they walk around. And, and, and it's, frankly, it's disgusting, and it's embarrassing. And I, and I do think he's right that it's disgusting, and it's embarrassing. It, you shouldn't be parading around like that. Um, and you shouldn't be in, in everyone's face with that. But I said... You know, I don't perceive all gay guys to be like that just because of those, you know, guys on the periphery. And But from his perspective, his concern was that's what he thought people thought. And I said, look, you know, I'm Jewish and I, you know, once in a blue moon, somebody Jewish will do something that's very stupid and very wrong. And, you know, and yes, I understand that. And then I worry, what will the world think about Jews? Is he, is he giving Jews a bad name? this guy who may, maybe stole some money from his investors, for example. Uh, and I, you know, I've come to appreciate that we're just too sensitive on those things. And this, this gay guy was also perhaps too sensitive about it. And now going back to the vegan thing, I think I'm sensitive about it. I, I think PETA, 
however, is the face of veganism, unfortunately. And, uh, and if it's not PETA, it's these other people that throw you know, paint on, on your fur and they're very vocal about it. And I think they gave us a, a bad name, but there are many quiet vegans like myself who simply say, look, I just, I just want to be healthy. I, I don't want to participate in the slaughter of animals. I, I don't want that sort of pain in my plate. Do you extend my, my your plate. veganism to leather jackets and fur coats? Too? No, I don't. I really don't. Oh, see, then you're not one of them. I'm, not, I'm totally not one of them. Yeah. Uh, you, you, look, if there's an option between an equally nice um, jacket that looks like full leather, I'm totally into full leather. Yeah, I'll buy it. Sure. I won't go out of my way to buy the leather one. But you know what? Leather shoes, you know. I, they, by the way, they make some really nice non-leather shoes now, so I'm, I'm getting those. But um, sometimes, you know, I've got, I've got nice taste in clothes, and, and sometimes that'll, yeah, but entail, this is, that'll this, entail some leather. This has to do with things you're putting into your right. body that you're going to, you know. Yeah, it's a yeah. different, it's, it literally it's a different animal, yeah. so to speak. And um, these guys just make it bad for us. So anyway, I do it for health. The fact that I'm not contributing to the suffering of animals or at least lessening my, my contribution to the suffering of animals, great. I'm all, I'm all for that. But really, it turns out, it just turns out that eating a plant-based diet is really good for you. It just happens to be. And we're just not meant to eat the animals, and that's that. But again, I digress. That's not the main point. And I can even say that the, the debate on that is not settled. Okay? Yeah, uh, because I, you're to, more than willing to admit and acknowledge that there are human beings of all different genetic backgrounds, and some might be more tuned to eating meat. Well, you know, I, like, you actually, know, like take actually, Inuit or, or Alouette, people who, no. who live in places where there is no foliage. You know? Well, no, then they have no choice to eat it, but that doesn't yeah. mean that we're designed as a human species to eat animals. We're, we're not. Um, but like I said... Uh, like you were about to say, which is that if someone were to show me that you got to eat chicken like once every two weeks in order to maintain a healthy diet or whatever it is, and it's a longitudinal, longitudinal study of some kind, I say, sure, I'll change my diet. It's not at all a talismanic approach. Now, so far, what I've learned is that all the long, longitudinal studies have shown that going vegan is the better way. And I can go through that. But Let's not even talk about that, the, the debate being settled there. I think it's strong. Yeah. I think it's, there are strong arguments for veganism. Um, and I, I am vegan for that reason. But I'm open-minded. Yeah, and it. also this episode is about things that are settled, not, that That's we're right. decreeing, not things that aren't. I, I, I'll uh, name one. Yeah, go, go for the next because i got one too. That is... Uh, You're not allowed to think what I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. What, what, is the, uh, what is the one that you would propose? Um, it's that... Uh, the debate is settled that it's more ideal and people are happier and live better lives by believing in God and practicing religiosity than oh. those who practice godlessness of varying degrees or channeling their, their need, their human need to worship into secular idols rather than worshiping God. Well, yeah, I, I think I, I The can, debate's clearly I, settled on that one. Yes, and let me summarize because I think I can twi- tweak it just a little bit and then, and, and then we can agree on this, that living a, a God-centered life is much more healthy and more productive and will make you happier. I think the debate is settled on that. And that's what you're really saying. Yes. And I agree with you 100%. And, and that's not even saying, folks, that uh, there is a God or not. And, I'm and not you, you can even say yeah. it's all a big ruse. It's all a big pretense. But 
if you live that pretense, you're going to have a much more productive and much more happy life. And I'm period. not talking about uh, cultism, where even people who are Jewish yeah. or Christian can fall into different flavors of their religion that have turned into cults of certain sects. I'm talking about normal, balanced, God-centered life. Yeah, that's right. If you do that, you will have uh, great joy in your life, and you'll have a sense of purpose. And as we often say, what is the purpose of purpose? I'll tell you what it is. It's to have a purpose. Yeah, okay? and, and the debate and science are totally settled. The debate is over. Science is settled. Right. Believe in God. You'll most likely be ha happier right. than if you don't. It is. Yeah, that's true. It is the greatest indicator, uh, the greatest cure for depression is God. It won't, it won't necessarily cure it, but if you want the biggest bang for your buck, so to speak, the biggest big bang, if you will, believe in God. Yeah, and at the top you talked about how you'll um, play a hitchhiker on people's pleasure, like take pleasure in people's success. Right. And part of that is gratitude. Right. Being happy when other people are successful along with yourself and thankful that they're successful as well as thankful and really appreciative of your success based on the hard work you did and the luck you might have had and God's willing, as you say. If, you're, if you feel uh, gratitude, you'll be more likely to be happy. And that is connected part and parcel of believing in yeah, uh, being a God-centered yeah. believer. B believing in something beyond yourself is wonderful. Uh, here's another settled, settled uh, situation. It is settled that um, the family is the bedrock of civilization. I'm not even getting to the gay marriage debate right now. But it's settled that family is the bedrock of civilization. And you're not talking about the Manson family. You're talking <laughs> about mother, father, children family. Of course, mother, father, children. The, the classic nuclear family, that's where it's at. That's what has advanced civilization. There's no other exception, um, no other way of looking at it. Yeah, not the village, not the government, not the public school, the family. The family. We know that. Um, here's another one. That um, guns don't kill people. People kill people, <laughs> right? That the presence of guns is not what creates any violence in our society. Guns will always be there. Um, and no matter how you fashion them, people will find a way to create mayhem with or without guns. And we had this recently, in the, I think it was in, in Japan, uh, where... Uh, some crazy guy, some group of crazy guys. That was China with the knives. You're right, China with the knives. They, went, they weren't guns. They just went with very sharp knives and they cut up, I don't know, 100 people. I mean, it was just horrible what they did. These are evil people, don't get me wrong. But they didn't have a gun. Not one, not one single gun was used. And the, the Democrats, lo and behold, did not suddenly hold a bunch of trials and hearings trying to ban the Iron Chef. That's right. From television. Lo and behold. And we do know, however... That what, the more you give guns to good people, the less chance that bad people will use guns. And it's as simple as that. We, we have this, I mean, it's what we call deterrence. Um, there are many other examples of debates, folks, that, that, will, that, that we can easily say are resolved. And they are resolved. It's just that the left doesn't like it being resolved. So they will continue to open it up and say, we've got to rethink it, rethink it. And I think, Ari, you said it a long time ago. It's, it's, the, it's not the one percenters. It's more like the 10 percenters. The 10 percent of society, like in, the, the, like in communist Russia, who completely altered the entire Russian history, 
by advocating this thing called communism. And 90% of the, the population was against it, but it was the 10% the that were very vocal that ended up controlling and changing the, the whole direction of Russia into a horrible country that it became, the Soviet Union. And, and the echoes are still there. And the same thing is true with these things that we know to be true, the things that we hold to be self-evident, right? I mean, think about the chutzpah, the confidence that Thomas Jefferson and the other founding fathers ha must have had to say, we hold these truths to be self-evident. In Al Gore speak, that means the, the science is settled, settled, the debate is over. The debate is over, and that's exactly what I mean. They, the truths that are self-evident are the ones that we just spoke about, folks. That's what it's about. It's not, but, but the left will constantly try to undermine that. No matter how many times you try to show them that's not what the past shows, and you know, we, we, we know that higher taxes always hurt everyone, and we can say that no, no country has ever taxed their way into prosperity, and, and uh, that uh, incest was a bad thing, and the family was very important, and that's what allowed us to grow as a society. You can show, you can show them history and evidence till the cows come home, but they won't listen. And even with the global warming, we're now showing them evidence until the cows come home that they're just wrong. I mean, we've, all those years that they predicted incredible things would be happening, none of it happened. But they don't listen. And, and our real estate values continue to go up, <laughs> right? That's right. That's, that's right. You would think they would, be, they would all be running for the hills. They would be running for the high ground. Yeah. So, folks, this is where we're, we're going with this. The, the reality is there are certain truths that are indeed self-evident. And we went through a lot of them. And I'm, I'm happy that we went through them because they're so clearly self-evident. Now, here's an interesting thing. So many of you listening, um, you know, if you're listening, first of all, kudos to you in a sense because you're listening uh, because you want to hear the other side. Perhaps you're a liberal yourself. You want to hear what the other side thinks, how we think. Um, and, and some of you are actually thinking like, I just don't know. What is the, what are the issues? How, how do conservatives look at them? And many people kind of turn after a while. They realize, you know, I, I don't like being on the other side of the equation. And, and that's great. And the question today that I want to pose to our listeners is, what would it take you to convert? And by convert, I mean to, to conservatism. What would it take for you to convert? Uh, we talked before on a previous podcast about the on button, right? Did we talk about that, Ari? Where there's an on button, you know, every, every contraption has a little, a little on button. And when you get a new contraption um, from whatever, Amazon or something like that, new camera, and you kind of look around it and say, ah, there's the on button, or that what appears, you try it and either it works or it doesn't. But you finally figure it out after five minutes or so, hopefully less, ah, here's the on button. Here's what turns this on. And then you might actually um, learn a little bit more about the device later on. Without reading the instructions. Right, 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 without reading the I almost never. Yes, you could just read the instructions. That would be the, that would be the easy way. That's why they write them. <laughs> sure, if you want to do the easy way. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but just looking at the device alone, you wouldn't necessarily know. Right? I mean, not immediately. You kind of fidget around. Um, it might be on the back. It might be on the top. It might be on the sides. Um, and the, the question is, what is, what is your on button? What is the thing that would get you to turn on to being a conservative? Or to at least view conservatives as not evil? Um, what would that take? 
Um, what, what does it look like for you, Mr. Liberal, or Mr. On the Fence, shall we say? Because if you're on the, on the left, far left, you're, it's very hard to con convert these people. They, they, they are true believers. It's uh, people who are far, far on the left, um, converting them, it's almost like converting, uh, expecting somebody who has spoken Chinese all his life to suddenly speak Russian. It's, it's not going to happen. Um, you know, they can learn, of course, but it's a very difficult and, and engaging process that they're not willing to do. So they have this whole doublespeak in their heads about how the world works, and uh, they framed the opposition, in, in their case, the conservatives, a certain way, and it's very hard to undo that. Some sort of crisis has to happen before you realize how wrong you, you've been. But it does happen. I mean, uh, what's his name? Uh, David Horowitz, right, from the Freedom Center and otherwise. Um, you know, he was uh, as, as liberal as they come. Yeah, two that we know very well, uh, Dennis Miller and Evan Sayer, uh, converted when they saw September 11th happen. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good moment to so, convert. So those kind of moments. Yeah, there, there are many 9 11 Unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a shame. I mean, but what's the epiphany? I mean, certainly 9 11 was not my epiphany. Um, but, but my epiphany was not, I was never a, uh, diehard liberal. I was never on the far left. So I'm not really a good example. Um, I think there's like three or four and I can't classify them all, but the two that yeah. come to mind is the first one that you mentioned, a cataclysmic event of some sort that makes people basically have the, oh, I could have had a V8 kind of moment. Right. And the, the more effective one that and I've told you several times on this podcast, what happened to me is what I called the hold up the mirror to them event where someone says something to you and you realize you have become the thing you most despise being. Right. At that moment, you see, for lack of a better phrase, the error of your ways, and it's sort yeah. of like a, a come-to-Jesus kind of conversion moment, almost on, on the level of your soul, right. or a religious kind of moment. You know, those are fantastic moments when you observe them. It's, um, it's the, um, you know, it's the what, my, my God, what have I done moment from uh, the bridge over the River Kwai with uh, the Alec Guinness character, right? You've seen this movie? Yeah. And he, he realizes that he's aiding and abetting the, the Japanese. He forgot what his mission was. And, and our mission uh, as Americans, as believers in God, for that matter, as Jews and Christians, what is our mission? Our mission is to advance the cause for God, for one thing, but also to advance capitalism, to advance progress, to to you know, see the world in a happy place um, that you know that we're all better off if everyone's happy. Uh, not happy doesn't necessarily mean that they all, all are receiving money. On the contrary, it, it may mean that they receive less money. I think to bottom line it in in non-religious terms would be to spread peace, prosperity, and the ability to be happy. But right. remember, the Constitution says all men are born with these rights. Among them the pursuit of happiness. It doesn't right. mean you're going to get happiness. That's right. But you have the right to pursue it. Yeah. So I think most liberals, myself included at the time, mm -hmm. we thought we were spreading those three things. The right. hold up the mirror moment for me was important because I realized that the ideologies I had been convinced to believe in were doing the very opposite. Right. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Um, when, you, we are, when you're doing the very opposite, when you're doing the hateful things, when you're... I mean, a good example is this week, uh, 
uh, Al Sharpton was holding a, a conference on racism. Mm-hmm. Now, of all the people to hold a conference on <laughs> racism and racist peace, a man who has been the instigator of the most severe pogrom on American soil against Jews is bizarre. Right. And then the modern uh, racial Nazis, if you will, mm-hmm. the, uh, the, 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 the race hustlers, the poverty pimp, those kind of people, the Jesse Jacksons, the Eric Holders, the Barack Obamas, who are all promoting racial harmony and equality are associating with this man. That's an example of what we mean of people who need to hold, have the mirror held up before them to see what they've become. Right. It's, uh, it would be great. I mean, that, that would be an epiphany that'd be great. That would be the on button for some people. It was certainly for you. But generally speaking, we engage in, in debate with people, right? And, you know, I guess that's one way of dealing with them is to confront them and say, you're a communist or you're, you know, you're doing the very thing that you claim to hate. Yeah, you're um, destroying the environment. You're being hateful towards women. You're f- waging the war on women, the war on children. Right. You're, you're being racist, not right. you, Brock, but right, right. them out there. They, yeah. You are being racist by promoting these policies that keep uh, people of, of ethnic backgrounds down. Uh, uh, Charles Barkley, the basketball player, said something brilliant, I think it was a few weeks ago. He said, if uh, you're voting for these Democrats because you're expecting them to help the poor, why is it the poor is still poor? After 40 years. Right. And yeah. then, of course, why are all the, 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 the cities that are controlled by Democrats, why are they suffering so poorly? And why are the poor in those cities growing? Why are they all going bankrupt? And so on. Uh, these are wonderful things to talk about. Well, okay, so that's one way of, of dealing with it, I suppose. That's one on button is to hold up the mirror. I like the way you say it. To hold up a mirror to them and say, uh, you know, you're doing the very thing that you claim to hate uh, or, or, or that you are becoming the very thing that you claim to hate. Um, uh, so let's let's think about other things that that if, if you're the diehard liberal, what is it that would be your on button? Uh, and, and there might be a couple of on buttons. And what I've come to say in the other day, uh, the other days, is to simply say, what is it? I invite them to tell me, what is it that would change you to become a conservative? And the first thing they say, I'll never be a conservative. Okay, wait, 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 wait. What is it, however? that will make you realize that you're on the wrong team. How about that? You're on, you suddenly realize you're on the wrong team. Like Alec, like Alec Guinness realized he's on the wrong team. Okay. Uh, is you know, he just built a bridge for the Japanese army that's right. what, what the, <laughs> to what the win heck? the war yeah. against his country? What the frig have I been doing? Like, you know, it's all nice and to give a sense of pride to your soldiers. And, and I think an interesting sort of preface to that is the, an admission by us who are conservatives, which is this. I in no way, and I, don't, I think we've talked about this before, neither of us would ever say, we're conservative, that's it, we're never changing our mind, we're closing our mind. Right. Of course not. No. If someone comes along with a truly great argument for us, we're going to listen. So. Yeah, I agree. You know. but, the key, but the key is... Where are the arguments that, that will turn them around? So, for example, let me tell you uh, that there are numerous arguments that I was dealing with or that I was grappling with. And I think what I was grappling with, there were certain assumptions that I had always made. I had made, I'd made the assumptions. I, I was already cool with, you know, and it, it never entered, entered my mind that, uh, that a whole swath of people were automatically racist. I didn't buy that for a second. Um, I, I thought that Republicans might have been trying to um, suppress votes, um, but I didn't think they were inherently racist. I, didn't, I, I thought that was just inherently childish. 
Uh, I also didn't believe for a moment that um, uh, that uh, somehow capitalism was a bad thing. I accepted capitalism as a very good thing and that it was important for innovation and such. My mistake was to think that the Democrats supported capitalism. Uh, and, and it just, you know, I was wrong about that. Um, the, the reality was that uh, Bill Clinton, uh, you know, created a great area. He was actually very supportive of capitalism. So, but we now know that the Democrat platform, that, that he was actually counter to the Democrat platform in many ways. So Bill Clinton was the best blessing to the Democrats ever because, you know, there, there was a good period of time in the 90s with Bill Clinton there, but that's only because he played ball with the Republicans, and we, we know what happened as a result of that. So when, when the people vote Democrat today, they still have this positive feeling about Bill Clinton in the 90s, and he was a Democrat, by golly. Therefore, Democrats are, can be good. Um, but going back to my own conversion, so the issues for me were abortion. Um, there, it was also about America's role in the world. And um, well, what else was it? Um, oh, religion. Uh, I felt, you know, maybe, maybe there should be a separation of church and state and all that stuff. So I explored that. And once I felt satisfied that the Republican way was much more healthy on all three of those issues, uh, I, was, uh, I was done. That was it. It was enough for, for me to completely turn over and, make, and call myself a Republican. Um, and conservative, for that matter. I don't know about other people. I think it would take them a little bit more. But the on button for a lot of people, I think if you're really further to the left than I was, I think they need to, to, to understand that their vision of conservatives as being greedy and racist, because that's, that's usually the two things that go hand in hand, uh, that they make these wild assumptions, just, just tremendous assumptions automatically. Oh, well, now that you're rich, now, you're, now you want to be conservative, as if half the country is rich. You know, I, I wish, but it's not, right? It doesn't, doesn't, they, they don't do the math on that. But they think that, uh, and no, not that I'm rich either, by the way, folks, but um, now, that, now that you have some money, therefore you vote for Republicans. That, that's just, it's automatic. They're not even being cynical as they say it. They just think that that's what it is. And, you're, and, and they're liberal notwithstanding having a little bit of money and because you know, they're, they're, they're not being led by the nose by money, you understand. Well, when you change them on that and you help explain the numbers to them, I think that helps. Likewise, um, when it comes to the world at large, you know, when you explain to them that if, if America is not the policeman of the world, somebody else will be. And then they, they, then they say, well, it, it would, why does it have to be that way? And I always say, it doesn't have to be that way, I agree, but it always is. And every period in history in the entire world has always had some sort of muscle man or muscle country that has basically dictated terms of the way things should be. And thank goodness we have this country called America that, that doesn't dictate terms, but nevertheless kind of has a lot of sway culturally and militarily. So uh, we protect, uh, we defend, we, uh, and we provide uh, influence by way of culture and our language and our products and everything else. But if we just uh, step back from that, things are going to start falling apart. But I wonder what the other on buttons are, because I'm fascinated. I, I, I talk to these other people, and it's, it's um, you talk to them about minimum wage, for example, and they just, they, they just, I'm, I, 
you can't get them to think otherwise. You can't get them to accept the fact that minimum wage, a minimum wage might impact the economy. They just see no problem. You know, employers just pay them more. That's all. Yeah, well, so much of the problem that we're up against is cultural propaganda on issues like that one or same-sex marriage or global warming. These are, these are the big ones where they're, they've been so indoctrinated into patterns of thought that have been so reinforced by um, the word of mouth they receive from their culture around them. And it's been repeated over and over and over again so that when they hear a contradictory opinion, they don't react, let's just say, on same-sex marriage with, oh, I guess you disagree. It's, well, the only reason you could disagree is because you are irrational and full of hatred for a certain segment of the population. And so what we're dealing with on button-wise in actuality is the challenge of how do you cut through this this cultural messaging? How do we come up with our own? Right. Um, As these people go home and turn on the evening news, every night there's Brian Williams repeating this every night. Yeah. And then he'll repeat it again tomorrow. You know, the, the good news, of course, is that uh, there are so many different outlets now that have different competing voices. But I, I wonder if people actually listen to that at all. Well, it's still, the numbers are still overwhelming. That in, in aggregate, the only mm-hmm. number of people of our population, of the news-receiving percentage of the population that receives in aggregate the alternate voice is about 11%. 83% of people who receive news receive it from mainstream sources. And that's a gigantic mountain to climb. Right. You know, that, that explains why you or I go to a cocktail party in this part of town and we open our mouth to say something and people react with, with stunned disbelief that right. a KKK member is suddenly in the room with them as they perceive it. Right, exactly right. Uh, the, the problem with that is that, you know, yes, you can always talk about setting up a good example. And I think you and I are, I think, good examples. We seem like reasonable people. We're articulate and, and uh, we're nice and we try to be good bosses and good friends and we talk reasonably. And, but they, they still... You know, it's as if they still look at you like, well, I'm entitled to my racism and I'm entitled to my greed. And, uh, and, and they still perceive themselves to be the wonderful people. And they're the ones who are willing to sacrifice um, so much of who they are for the greater good. And not realizing, of course, that in fact, we're the ones sacrificing ourselves for the greater good. They're the ones simply demanding that, that we other, sacrifice. That's right. That we, that we sacrifice. And that we give money to each other and then other people give, you know, they're very good about being generous with everyone else's money. That's, that's the main line. And freedom. Please don't forget when they, oh, when they yeah. ban plastic bags or barbecues, they're not the ones using the plastic bags or barbecues. We are. Right. They, they have perceptions just like this president does about the way the world works and, um, and acts on those perceptions, except that those perceptions are so unreal. You know, sometimes it's a function of just experience. In life, I suppose that could be somebody's on button that they just get tired um, uh, of being, you know, mugged by reality. Right? What's the expression? Um, a conservative is is a liberal who's been mugged. Right? You know, it, it'd be a shame if that's what what it takes, you know, to be your on button, uh, because it shouldn't be that situation. And speaking about exactly that scenario, uh, my parents re- recall a, a woman who uh, was very liberal. She worked 
you know, she gave up everything she could in order to work for these, these other people that would in turn, um, um, you know, some sort of public service thing. But she had to walk through a very dangerous area. And, and, and it, the, the place itself was very dangerous. And then one day she got raped in that place. And obviously that must be a horrific thing for anyone to go through. She went through it and she still didn't, um, it didn't daunt her. She still felt, you know, compelled to continue to work there. And she did continue to work there. And then she got raped again. And then she said, okay, enough. And that's when she became a conservative. She said, you know, this, this uh, coddling, it just, it, she saw it as, as leading to a, a world where this kind of stuff could happen. Uh, people feel emboldened to, to rape and to mug and to abuse. And that's what liberalism offers. It, it offers a, um, a world where anything goes. Um, you know, I, I, just, just the other day, I asked uh, my associate, who tends to be on the liberal side, I said, what are, what are your standards? And she said, oh, we believe in equality. We believe in fairness. And, no, okay, standards. I mean, actual standards. Like, you know, you, you, have, you have to, in order to get a, an A, you have to make at least a 90 on your test, right? <laughs> that's, that's a standard. Um, you know, do, do you think everyone should be able to speak English at an eighth grade re re reading level before they, they graduate from eighth grade? That sort of thing. Should they be uh, uh, non-illegal aliens before they get a driver's license? Right. Those are those standards. And I said, what are your standards? I'm talking about that. What would you agree to? What do you think is appropriate? And she can't really say anything very much. It, it, you know, I believe in equality as if that's a standard. You know, there's no standard. You know, that's like saying I like the color red. I mean, it, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, well, you see, it, it again proves Evan Sayed is so right with and powerful when he makes the point that liberals consider themselves racist when they are forced to think right. and make a decision because they believe, unfortunately, the decision-making process reveals their own biases that they yeah. can't escape from. Yeah. Well, dear listener, uh, and I'm hearing the music now already uh, playing down, but uh, it's, it's, it's worthwhile asking yourself what the... What is your on button? What, what would it take to, for you to either become a conservative or a liberal, right? Uh, by and large, people are converting to conservatism, and it's that liberals are staying liberal. Um, but those who are converting, they're converting to conservatism, not the other way around, by and large. And ask yourself, what would it take you to, to turn around? Is it, a, is, is it an assumption that you have? Uh, are you willing to question your assumptions? If you're willing to question your assumptions, I put to you that you're probably on the road to conservatism without you realizing it. Anyway, Ari, a pleasure as always. Uh, thanks so much for listening, everyone. We'll talk to you next week. I was doing